everyone. Welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. We're your hosts, Stasia and Saskia. On today's episode, we're excited to welcome Lucy Petlack. Hello, I'm Lucy Petlack, a women's lifestyle blogger based out of California. And what do you do daily as, um, as a job? Um, I like to joke that it covers all manner of sin. I started blogging and it was food, and then a week later I added fashion, and a couple years later I added travel. And now, now that I've switched gears and I really focus on sustainability, I still cover just about any kind of lifestyle. So I do the parenting when I feel that it's really valuable. Uh, and I do the travel when I can, obviously somewhat limited now. Uh, and then food, fashion, still a big part of it, and a lot of learning, whatever that means. So lifestyle, yeah, just sometimes it's still adding subcategories to that one. And when did you add sustainability then? And how did you decide to um, go into sustainability from your other kind of lifestyle areas? Right. So I started blogging in 2012 when I was in grad school. And that's, you know, that was just the beginning. It's a constant learning. And in 2019, I gave birth to our son. I had a very short self-inflicted, I guess, uh, maternity leave that was entirely too short for having my first kid and as I was attempting to get back into this blogging lifestyle I'd become sort of personally interested in sustainability many people are interested in it at this time and personally I was uh, pumping a lot at the time and you can't move a lot when you're doing that so you're on your phone and I've discovered you either watch a lot of tv shows or you go down a lot of rabbit holes on google and so I did the latter and at first it was just questions related to our sustainable living in our home and with our kid and so I got more and more interested and honestly it was the only thing I was thinking about at the time so as I was transitioning back to blogging more consistently I was at this point when it was either I have to start talking about sustainability or this isn't going to keep happening hopefully I don't lose my entire audience Um, and I didn't uh, miraculously enough I was concerned but it, it was just I didn't feel as though I had a choice at that point. Um, And I think because I added the sustainability into all the topics I was already talking about, my audience made that pivot with me. And it's not like I was leading the way on talking about sustainability. Everyone knows that it's out there, knows the conversation. And my followers were very comfortable with how I decided to have that conversation. So now that's been uh, about two years. and it's been great. It's been great personally on, on a professional level, I should say, because I feel like I really have a message and a direction and a purpose. And then it's been really great for my audience as well, because now they have specific questions. I'm not just sharing an outfit or a recipe. There's there's kind of a background to it. And so it's created a lot more opportunities for conversation, either instigated by me or instigated by my followers. And the uh, collaborations that I've gotten working with brands are so much more meaningful now. You know, they're not just trying to sell the single product. They have a message and a product or sometimes just a message and it just works with me. And so just on so many levels, it's, it's been very rewarding besides trying to save the environment, obviously. <laughs> yeah, all of that actually sounds very interesting. And I think what stood out to me is how you said that your audience very much was very receptive to your transition and to, you know, including sustainability in the content that you put out. 
So I guess my question based off of that is how is what you're trying to achieve with the content that you're posting changed and also have you seen a spike in engagement you know as a result of covid because i think because of the pandemic sustainability has become such a you know bigger concept um so how has that you know have you seen any kind of perhaps changes specifically related to pandemic life um i don't know that i have interestingly if you talk to anybody who's who has a website or a blog a lot of people took a major hit in traffic because all of a sudden we weren't going out, we weren't traveling. And I can tell you all my travel content on my blog, save a few domestic ones, is non-existent. I'm leaving it there because I assume everybody will go back to this one day, um, but that's all that died. Um, and then my recipes have become even more uh, popular than they were before because people were home. And even still, even now as, I don't really know what you would call this, our slow transition in and out of back to reality. Is that like as accurate as I think we can say right now, especially in the States? Um, people are still cooking or they're still doing those same kind of searches. So that's been really interesting. Um, I would say maybe because people are home, they're not coming and going as much. There's been more time to have thoughtful conversations. I will. I'm obviously a chatty person, so I'm always happy to have these long conversations, but I think on my followers who have jobs and have families and have lives and where they might be, they might have a question, but they don't want to sit down and take the time to ask it. I've gotten more, okay, I think I'm ready. You know, we can go back and forth and I can try to really make it work for them. And so I think that's maybe the bigger transition that I've seen. What sort of content do you create on the daily? Like, for example, what have you done in the past week or so? What have I done in the past week or so? Uh, well, so I publish uh, two blog posts per week, and I'm racking my brain now to remember what I did last <laughs> week for this week. I think that there's a recipe, and, oh, I'll get real personal here, um, how to wash your undergarment. So, funny, funny enough, I'm having conversations, conversations on my website that I never thought I would ever have um like one of my most popular posts in the last year has been how to recycle or donate undergarments because it's not a standard thing so i republished from many many years ago a post on how to wash your jeans or should you wash your jeans because that's always kind of been what to do which i'm currently wearing jeans i just washed and they're so tight and uncomfortable i just so i really hate washing jeans um so i decided to kind of go along with that and think, okay, well, what else is difficult? And one of the messages that I've really had that I think has, has made my shift to sustainable living easier is not, okay, I'm going to jump ship on everything I used to own or everything I used to buy. But instead I'm really focusing on whatever you own and buy, just try to make it last a lot longer. And so then we got down to the undergarments I'm like, okay, how do you take care of them so that they're not falling apart? And then you want to buy new ones more and more quickly. So that's what I was working on for this week. And then uh, actually last week, something that took quite a bit of time is that I'm collaborating with an olive oil company to do sort of a fun, entertaining olive oil tasting. But if you know anything about olive oil, then you want to try to get, you know, extra virgin olive oil, something that's not mixed in with a bunch of other things. And so it, it I'm very excited about the collaboration because it really kind of speaks to all the different sub-verticals, I guess. 
within my lifestyle um, genre, so I say. And so coming up with all the things that I thought that they would like me to do and all the questions I had and all of that, that was my work sort of last week. Oh, interesting. So quite a variety of content. Having a variety of content has made my life as a blogger sustainable and not not eco-friendly speaking, but just I've been doing this since 2012 and it's very easy to get burnt out when you're talking about the same conversation over and over again. So food has been a very popular and at one point the most lucrative part of my website, but I just did not want to be a food blogger. And then I did not want to be a fashion blogger. And so the lifestyle genre didn't used to exist, but I just stayed stayed in that lane because that's what personally kept me driven and excited about what I was doing. And the same thing has happened adding in sustainability. I'm not constantly pushing it down my readers, um, which has worked really well. Yeah, and I guess with that, you know, variety of content that you publish, who is um, your target audience? Primarily my target audience is women 30 to 50, I would say. Many of them are married and or have families. Many of them uh, are actually single and just trying to figure out life because that's what you do in your 30s. You feel like you're finally at a time when you can sort of get a handle on things. And that's really it. Primarily I have um, U.S. readers, but then also I think the sustainability conversation is maybe a little bit further in in the UK and Canada and so I do have some crossover there as well which has been great and I think one of the reasons that my message has worked for for all those different kinds of people is that people can latch on to what works for them some people are all about no food waste and preserving food and eating seasonally other people just are not in the kitchen but they're all about clean beauty and reusing containers and and that's really what's worked and, and what I embrace. So I can do sustainable living in every room of my house and other people can start their path down towards start their path down sustainable living in whatever works for them, whatever room of the house they want to do. And that's great. That's fine. Start where it's comfortable or this isn't going to last. So if I was coming to you as someone who um, was not involved in sustainability at all and I wanted to make a first step, what do you think you would recommend or what blog would you send them towards to read? Absolutely my blog. I mean, that would be <laughs> silly of me not to, right? Yeah. Um, I have two messages that I tell people. And this, this really, I tell everybody, no matter how kind of far down the path you are, is one, one of the biggest things as individuals that we can do is to avoid food waste. So if you can find ways to eat those leftovers and have more of that produce and shop a little more locally great that absolutely stop sending food scraps or whatever you know to the landfill so and then the second message is actually that the most sustainable thing is the one you already own because it's so easy to get and i have absolutely been overwhelmed by this so easy to get inundated with all of the eco sustainable green products you can buy but regardless of how eco-green and sustainable something is, it still has to be produced and transported to you. So my kind of always example is I have this plastic dish brush that we bought for my son's bottles when he was, you know, just born. It's not eco and it's not sustainable, but it's already in my kitchen and it works really well. 
So I'm going to keep using that dish brush, even though it's not green, it's not pretty, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. So that's what I tell people and run with that as you will. Try to avoid food waste and try to cut back on your buying. And at the individual level at home, that's, that's really the most that you can do. Yeah, I think that's a really good message. And it's definitely a trap that a lot of people fall into. Um, even myself, I've sometimes fallen into buying new sustainable things when mm-hmm. I could have quite easily not not have had this thing. But it is something you learn and you have to just not, not do it again, basically. Yeah, I guess like a big part of it is sustainability guilt. Because I feel like as soon as you know, someone tries to get into the sustainable space and tries to live more sustainably, which is, I think, quite an exciting transition. It can be rather overwhelming and you feel like you need to do all these things at once. Meanwhile, you should probably just focus, as you said, on minor things. And once you have that checked off, you should then actually see, oh, do I need to buy anything green if I already have it? Yes, so I had this... I went into the real sustainable guilt thing at roughly two years ago, just after I, I, I started making this more of a thing. And I think at the time I, you know, I'd come home or my husband would come home from work and I say, okay, so here's what we need to stop doing. Here's what we need to change. And he would just look at me and just be a little overwhelmed and a little like, um, okay. You know, <laughs> and sort of move on from there. And then I, I kind of had to find a way out of that sustainability guilt. Interestingly, my husband has just gone through this himself. Uh, we uh, Very exciting. We just bought an electric car, so he's been researching more and reading more and more into it. And if you start reading about the excitement of it, you also learn about all the things that are problematic just on the transportation front. We'll just leave it at that. And so then at the end of the day and in the middle of the night, he's got all this guilt about what we're doing as individuals, what we're doing in society. And I was finally, I had to sit him down and say, okay, so this guilt thing is very normal and it's good. It happens, you know, I lost a bunch of weight many years ago and I had the exact same thing. So I think anytime you're making a big change in your life, you start to make those little changes and then you say, oh man, my whole life is a fraud if this is my, my new path. So I've had to talk to him about it and really encouraged him to only read the positive things and then also remind him, and this is what I always tell people when we talk about sustainability guilt, remind him of what we've done. Because once something becomes part of your routine, it's easy to forget that you've already done that. You've already made that struggle and you've already overcome that challenge. So that's always my first thing about the sustainability guilt is, okay, let's talk about what you do. And interestingly, even people who say, oh, I don't, care about sustainability I don't do anything about that they do everybody has their way and regardless of the impetus like maybe they they save something or they reuse something because it saves money or because they think it's the best thing well it could still be sustainable even if that's not why you're thinking about it that way so I always like to embrace what you've already done and then embrace that there are going to be plateaus you can make all these changes and every minute's better 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 and then you're just, you're going to ride that out. And it could be a few days, a few weeks, it could be a few months, but that's fine. You know, and then, and then we can go on to the next level. I know you mentioned in the, when we were speaking before we started recording this podcast, that one thing you don't want to focus on is families and parenting. But as it is a part of your blog, 
how do you incorporate sustainability with children and parenting oh man so before you become a parent you think you won't be the parent that has too many toys and too many clothes and all of these things and then you become a parent and I will just reiterate or tell you that especially the first six months but honestly longer you are just trying to make it from the beginning of the day to the end of the day or through the night or whatever and so all these things you used to care about they kind of go out the window because you're trying to function and I, there needs to be no guilt there because your life gets completely flipped upside down when you have a kid. Beyond that, however, um, I think you have to figure out what your balance is and what works for your family. So personally, uh, I started cloth diapering at four months. I planned and hoped to do it before I was born. And then again, that lovely transition happened. So I started cloth diapering at four months and um, we did that we just potty trained so at two so whatever that is over 18 months of like 90% cloth diapering and I actually really loved it I got into it one of the other things is that people think it has to be all in all the time with the cloth diapering and it doesn't if you do it half the time or 90% of the time that's great every single diaper stage from the landfill is fantastic in my humble opinion um so that's one thing and then in terms of the stuff so I could probably count on my hands the number of toys that I have purchased brand new for my son in his two years of existence. And they were small. They were things that I really put a lot of thought into and I thought he needed. So probably three, four, maybe. Um, So that's just not coming from us. He still gets gifts from family and everybody knows that we try to live sustainably and we really embrace the idea of secondhand. I can't, I can't fight everybody's battle. So, you know, we kind of take in what comes and then I either, um, A, I try to make it last as long as possible. B, I always try to find someone locally just to give it away free, like in a Facebook group or something like that. So I can just keep going on to another home, another home. Um, and then for clothes, oh, it is very easy to just walk into literally any store and buy all of the cute clothes for your kid. Um, so I do... A combination every season of some second hand that's usually very inexpensive um, or hand me down from some friends and then some small sustainable clothing brand um, but those are not inexpensive whatsoever <laughs> um, and then the third one is that there will be more uh, cost-effective pieces but I try to look for things that are either all cotton or all organic and and I don't I don't get everything, but he's got a mix. Um, and that that really works well for us. And I always try to buy a little bit bigger. So we're not living in them for four weeks and then growing out of them. So sometimes he's kind of swimming in his clothes, but we wear them again the next season. So it's all these little things that I think can do. And then one of the things now is food waste. Again, we'll go back to this whole notion because you cannot predict how much a two-year-old is going to eat. Sometimes they'll eat more than you and other times they're not hungry and that can vary from moment to moment. So I try to be very mindful of how much I put on his plate, knowing that he can always have more. And, you know, but anything that goes on his plate likely has been so handled by little baby fingers uh, that you don't want to save it. <laughs> really. And so it goes away. So, you know, again, it's, it's the clothes that he wears. It's the food that he eats. It's the same kinds of things that we do as adults and I just try to keep 
you know, keep a balance for that. I'm not perfect, but I'm sane. And I, I think that that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, I guess something that, you know, I didn't think about, and I don't know, Saskia, if you did, because, I mean, neither of us have kids. We're quite young. Um, and, like, kids obviously grow so fast. So when it comes to, like, clothing and even toys, it's like one, you know, one day they'll fit into the clothes and be interested in the toys, and then the next day, you know, they won't want that toy anymore, and they'll be too big for the clothes. So, yeah. Yeah, it, and, you know, it's funny. Every, every parent will tell you this, but you don't really take it seriously. The best toys for kids are usually from your kitchen. So all of the spoons for cooking, um, all of the Tupperware and food storage. I have these glass jars with lids. Oh, man, I could probably just leave them in the kitchen with all of the unsafe drawers locked. He would be fine. He would not care. But those are the toys that he never seems to tire of because he can continually kind of change how he plays with them, which is funny. Um so yeah, the toy thing and the clothes thing. I have a very tall, slim kid, uh, built like his father. He's not built like me, um, and so I just I always kind of buy a little big. And I think you know you look at him and you're like, it's probably a little big. And I'm like, yeah, but you know he's gonna wear it for a while. I I try to only buy once per season. So at the beginning of the season, I buy everything for the season, and then I'm done. I back off. We do a fair bit of laundry just because I'm not gonna buy 16 pairs of pants. Um, unfortunately, or whichever, I guess, um, many of my friends who kind of live similarly with their children, they have friends with slightly older kids that are, you know, mostly girls actually. And I just don't have a local friend whose little kid is a little bit bigger than mine. So that's, that's the unfortunate thing for me, but I'm making it work. So I know a bunch of little boys, so we're just passing down to them. Yeah. It's very interesting. Like as Deja said, this is we don't have kids I don't really know anyone who has kids yet so for us this is a first on our podcast as well is speaking about sustainable parenting and children of families and there's yeah. many things that you don't even think about you don't you know and I, I'm gonna go back and reiterate this point and it's not gonna be shocking there being a parent is beyond a full-time job it's not 40 hours a week it's every hour of the week even if you have health even you know if you have all those things and so it becomes very difficult to try to live a sustainable lifestyle while keeping your family going in a somewhat functional direction and I think we get very easily overwhelmed we feel very guilty and it, it can just feel like doomsday almost and so then it's like if you're doing great on the sustainability front maybe you don't feel like you're doing that great on the parenting front and vice versa and it's just, neither is going to be perfect and so you have to really find that balance. Um, and it's, a, you know, if you bought something that was inexpensive new for your kid to wear, it's fine. It's like you are not the whole problem for the entire earth because you bought your kid one thing, you know. And so finding that balance is difficult. Um, becoming a parent is something that you can tell people about, but until they get into it themselves, you will never understand the exhaustion, the guilt, the, the I'm going to say worry and not necessarily worry that they're safe but that you're doing the right thing or all of these things so it's almost like a double guilt because you have all that normal sustainability guilt and then you have all that parenting guilt and then you try to put them together it's a lot of work um so I try to drink more sustainable wine and this is you know sometimes just how we get through this um 
but it's it's something that I really have to talk about. And interestingly, the readers of mine who are parents, especially with their first young kid, who are you know kind of in a similar place as I am, they've really resonated with my don't feel guilty about it. You're doing great things. Do what you can. It's very easy to think that it's your fault. The whole thing is on your shoulders with your kid and your family. That is just so far from the truth. It is not our fault at all. <laughs> so anyway, that's a very big message I have to sustainable living with parenting involved. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that's um, really important to state is that your kind of generation's the first to really be involved in like sustainable parenting you don't really have like an example to follow as such because it's only really become a thing so you guys are the first to try it out so you've got so many other things to think about rather than just following the normal path yeah so if I think just about cloth diapering so cloth diapering really kind of went the way in the 70s there was a sort of a transition and so our grandparents likely did the cloth diapering and did all of that and so there's just there's there's enough of a gap between the kind of parenting that we're really focusing on in terms of sustainable living now that existed maybe 70 years ago, not that long ago. People are still alive that did it. But there was post-World War II, so 50s, 60s, 70s, life was all about ease. And, you know, cloth diapering is not the easiest thing. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad when you just get into a routine. But you're right in that we're dealing with all these new things and especially now most mothers are working in some form fashion and so trying to be that that mother that existed back in the 30s 40s 50s and trying to have a full-time job that's when it gets you know really overwhelming and complicated and you know i i don't know what the future will hold on that i think that's I can tell you what I'm doing now and hopefully I'm doing the best. So just to round us off uh, on this very, very interesting discussion, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be quite interested to know about what your future goals and ambitions are, you know, for you um, blogging and where perhaps do you see yourself in five years? In terms of the goals and ambitions, I'm still very much trying to figure out all of the avenues that I can help people try to live more sustainably. So at the moment, I blog regularly. I'm on Instagram all the time. And those are two two of the best ways I can do that. And then the next space I'm likely to enter into is sort of digital courses, uh, more of like an online sort of conversation. And I need to figure out how to do that because, as I mentioned before, I don't have a, okay, step one to living sustainably is do this. And then step two is this. I'm very, you know, take what your life is and kind of go from there. So, you know, I've been doing some Instagram live series to kind of experiment with how to make a a message that you can take and make your own. So in the immediate future, that's that. I'm also trying to figure out, okay, I'm, you might think I'm really old right now. I I'm not the like, hey, let me do a silly little dance, TikTok, Instagram Reels style kind of person. And so I'm trying to embrace that that's where, not the future, I'm not sure that's where the future is, but that's where online world is right now. And so, how, you know, do I make Reels all the time about how to clean my house with baking soda? 
Maybe. I mean, it's interesting to some people. It sounds very silly. I mean, probably you guys are all into it because you're like me. But to other people, it might be a little like, wait, what are you doing? Okay, I guess that works. So I've been doing more food-related things on Instagram Reels, and people are really liking that. Um, I think I'm going to try to add a little bit more kind of small house living. That's something that's very American with the problem of how big our homes are. Um, and so I don't, like, we think our house is great, but in the grand scheme of things, it's on the smaller side. So anyway, immediately those are kind of, Kind of where I'm at. And then I don't know where I'm going to be in five or 10 years. Um, I've found a lot of joy writing. This is, I love blogging. That's really my favorite part of my whole job. I found a lot of joy in writing and doing the researching and having this message and doing all that. I think, I don't think the internet's going anywhere. So I think that that job will still be there. Will Instagram still be, I'm not even on TikTok. So let's just start that. Will Instagram and TikTok, I guess, still be where I need to be in five or 10 years? Honestly, I hope not. Um, I'm not sure. And again, my little guys too. And at some point I could could decide that maybe my message is changing or maybe how I want to do that is, is different. Um, I've just decided to embrace that I can't play in the next 10 years of my life. And you just try to live a little bit more presently. So... I wish I had a better answer, but I think it's it's very realistic of me to just tell you what I'm thinking for the next few years and kind of what I'm working towards. Yeah, definitely. Just keep doing what you're doing and I'm sure you'll, you'll end up where you're meant to be. Yeah, the path <laughs> will unfold before my very eyes. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Lucy, for joining us. This has been such an interesting discussion. And as we said, we've not touched upon some of these topics before. So this will be really good for our listeners. Uh, as usual we'll put the links in the description to your socials and websites so please check those out Um, and yeah just thank you for joining us thank you thank you